we come to the scripture, let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, um, it's with anticipation that we open the scripture this morning. I pray you would prepare and have been preparing us uh, for worship this morning. And I trust that you've received our worship and will continue to as we think together in this profound act of worship of taking up uh, the scripture and reading and meditating together upon it. So help us, I pray, uh, open our minds to your word, our hearts uh, to the very presence of your spirit to believe that we may live. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Please turn, and may I say again, to Ephesians in chapter 6. I want to read verses 10 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, please. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And then together we say the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now remember, Paul's um, laid out for us the first three chapters, who we are in Christ, and then proceeds from there to tell us how we're to live because we do belong to Christ. And then he comes to the very end and he says, now you need to know this. You need to know that we have an enemy. It's an enemy we can't see or taste or touch or feel or smell here, but... There is a spiritual enemy who comes against us as believers in Jesus um, to deceive us, to discourage us in our life in Christ. Not only what we believe and hold to, but also that being our identity, but also how we live. So this enemy comes. uh, So uh, here's what you need to do. You need to stand. That is, don't give up any of that. You need to stand. And how do you do that? Well... He says, you need to be strengthened in the very might of God. And how do you do that? Well, you put on this armor that really flows objectively from his truth, from his word, this this belt of truth, and to know the very righteousness that's ours because of Christ. And this truth is to work in us to produce godliness, and this righteousness is to also work in us to produce this holy life we've been created in Christ Jesus Jesus. in the likeness of God. 
to live out our lives in righteousness and holiness. And uh, so he says that you to put this on, to know the gospel that brings peace, to live in it. This gospel that brings forgiveness, that breaks the power of sin so you can live, you see. Um, to believe, you to have faith so that when accusations come from the evil one, and they will, that you can put them out because you know who you are and whose you are and you trust uh, in the Lord. That indeed you, you have this hope because you know the salvation that's yours and all of that's informed by um, the word of God. He calls the sword of the spirit the word of God. We, we know all of this to be true because of the scripture and we need to keep it close uh, so that we can use it, so we can live by it. And then we're to, to live, he says, to walk or to live in a particular in a particular way. So we're to take up this armor. But not only that, we mentioned last Sunday something that may have been surprising. We're to take up this armor praying, that we need to pray as well. And, and we understand that because prayer is an expression of a manifestation of our dependence upon God. When we pray, we're saying, God, I can't, but you can. God, we can't, but you can. And so we're looking to him, you see, outside of ourselves to help us. Now, we had this um, image from Exodus chapter 17. I trust you've been thinking about that. I hope you have. Um, and this image from Exodus chapter 17 where there was a, a battle with, between the Israelites and the Amalekites. And Joshua was the commander of the Israelite forces. And Israelite, the Israelites ultimately prevailed. And if you were there and watched it, you could analyze the battle by strategies and by perhaps the, the warriors themselves and how strong they may have looked or may have been or the, <clears throat> the weapons that they had. But we know something else behind the scenes of all of this because we're told that really what determined the outcome of the battle was not only the strategies and not only the weapons and not only the soldiers and all of that, what they did, but something else behind the scenes that was Moses praying. And as Moses weakened in prayer, the battle moved in favor of the Amalekites, but as, as, as Moses strengthened in prayer, that the Israelites um, were victorious. And so what do we learn? Well, we learn that we need the soldiers and the weapons and the strategy and all that, but that's made effective by our dependence upon God as we trust in him, and that's reflected in our prayers, you see. And so we realize then if we're going to stand against the evil one, we need to pray. We, we focus particularly on praying, on praying for ourselves, as, as well we should, to, to pray that we'd know the truth, to pray that we would be secure in the righteousness of Christ, to pray that God would work his truth in this righteousness in us to cause us to live holy lives because we know when we don't, we're vulnerable to the enemy's attacks that we'd really know the gospel and believe it and know we have peace with God and to believe, to have faith, to trust him, to have the hope, assurance of our salvation and that he would enable us to, to know the word of God and to be able to apply it rightly in our lives, in particular situations even, as we come under the assault of the enemy, all of that. But now he says something else. And this is what I want to pick up today. And I know it isn't much in terms of verses, but it's significant. And I, 
I can't really get around it. Verse 18. He says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making uh, supplication for all the saints. You see? Making supplication. For all the saints. In other words, he's saying we're to pray for each other. Well, of course, when Paul uses the word saints, he doesn't mean any sort of high class Christian or special kind of Christian. That's, he simply means all of us. He means all believers. It, it means literally holy ones, ones who have been made holy by Christ. So all believers. So essentially he's saying not only pray for yourselves in this if you're going to stand, but you need to pray, pray for each other as well so that all of us together might really stand. Now, it's it's no real surprise that Paul moves from individual to all of us together. In fact, much of what we have in the New Testament and even in the whole Bible is is about not just us as individuals. We take it that way. We we take it me and my, but it really is we and us that, that God sees us. Yes, individually, he loves us and all that, but he sees us collectively as his people, as a company, if you will, of his people. In fact, Paul's been emphasizing that all along. In, in chapter 2, in the middle of chapter 2, he, he, he says now, notice this, verse 14, he says, For he himself, that is Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one. Now, very particularly there, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. But what he's saying is that as believers in Jesus, we're united together. He's made us one And then he goes on to say that his purpose in the cross is that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might rec- reconcile both of us to God in one body through the cross. So the cross reconciles people to God and to each other. Um, in verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace um, to those who are near, both Jews and Gentiles, all kinds of people, from verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens, that is, we all belong to the same kingdom, all believers in Jesus, we all belong to the same kingdom, meaning we all have one king, we're all citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God, we're all in the same family, we're all in the same father, And then he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so we're all together as as one holy temple in the Lord because we have one Lord. So we have one king, one father, one Lord. means we're all together. So it's no surprise that Paul would say that... um, we're all together. And in fact, if you take it from the whole Bible, if we begin back in Genesis 1 and 2, human beings were to be fruitful and multiply. And that is, there were to be a lot of us who were to be God's very own people. When, when God makes promises to Abraham, Abraham, before it becomes Abraham, uh, the promise is you're going to have so many descendants that they can't be numbered, that you can't count them. Uh, when Jesus comes, he looks out on the multitude and he says, look at the harvest. It's ripe and ready. There's, there's a, a huge harvest. There's going to be a, a, a lot of you who belong to God. In fact, when Jesus 
before he ascends, tells the disciples, go into all nations, go everywhere and make disciples. And that, that continues generation after generation after generation. In fact, before Jesus ascends, he tells these particular disciples that uh, wait in Jerusalem, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And when he does, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why? But because there's this going to be this great gathering of people who collectively uh, will be, are to be uh, God's, God's people. And in fact, the apostle Peter uh, puts it like this in First Peter in chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you're a chosen race. He's talking to believers, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but you, now you have received mercy. And he said, this is a people. God is gathering for himself throughout the generations, his people, a people for his own possession. Not just one. It isn't just about me, you see. It's about all of us here, believers now and throughout all generations. And in fact, we see the picture of it. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We, we, see, the, we see the picture of it in, in Revelation in chapter 7 as the apostle uh, John sees it. Verse 9, he says, After this I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So, so this great number of people. So when, when Paul's talking, we mustn't, as we're reading through, mustn't ever simply think about ourselves individually we must always realize that this goes for all of us. And so when Paul says we need to be praying at all times, perseverance for all the saints, he means we need to be praying for all of us, not just each of us uh, individually. Again, no surprise, the word church um, means those who are called out, and it refers to those who are called out into an assembly of people. Yes, God calls us out individually, but when he does that, remember, he joins us together. And so church means that we're an assembly, we're a gathering. And, and, and we gather, you know, uh, in particular places at particular times, but a day will come when we'll all gather together and we'll, 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 we'll be all together for all eternity on the new heavens, in the new heavens, in the new and the new earth. So we see that as well. Another metaphor that's given for us is that we're a body. Paul talks about that in Ephesians as he writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 1. Remember, he says that we are Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see this laid out for us that we are the body of Christ. And uh, each of us has a different role and a different function, a different gift. But we function very much in the same way that a body does. We have eyes and ears and feet and hands. And we're dependent upon each other, you see. We're inexorably joined together. We're indispensably united, you see. We need each other. And so, no surprise, when Paul says that we're to stand, it isn't simply that we're to stand 
individually. Oh, we are. And it isn't simply that we're just stand uh, by praying for ourselves. That we must. But he says we stand together. Therefore, we must not simply pray for ourselves, but also that we're to pray for one another. In fact, Paul lays this out in terms of our unity together in chapter 4. We've gone through this, but just by way of review, that he says that we're to walk worthy, chapter 4, verse 1, of the manner, we're walk, uh, in, in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And he says we're to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace that requires a certain character of us. And we're to be humble and gentle and patient. We're to bear with each other. We're to be eager to maintain this unity. We have one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. He says he's given gifts to the church that we may grow up together. You see, we can't grow up individually. We have to grow up together. There's no spiritual growth for the lone ranger Christian to the one who separates himself or herself from the whole body. There can't be. Because the only way we can grow, he says, is to be built up in love. Which means we have to love. And you can't love when you're all alone, right? Other than loving yourself. See, we're made in the image of God. He's eternal love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons we speak so much about God being Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Meaning, from all eternity, He's love. The Father has loved the Son through all eternity. He's loved the Holy Spirit through all eternity. Each has loved the other. And we're created in His image, so we're created to love. So that's why it wasn't good for a man to be alone. We couldn't just have one. We had to have at least two so they could love each other. And then many so we could image God as his people, as those, as those who love. It's no surprise that when Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments, he summarizes them in, with love. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. It's no surprise that Jesus said, listen, here's how the world will know that you belong to me. That you love each other as I have loved you. No surprise that Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. No surprise that Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love each other. You see, that's the very... As it, we, we, thus, we're all together, you see, as a group. And so we're to pray for one another. But we also must see, not only are we together as a group, but we also must see that this battle is bigger than just Satan or these forces of evil against me. We have to see that this battle is bigger than us individually. In fact, we have to see that this battle is the battle of the ages, that this battle is the battle for the honor and glory of God, that this battle is actually the Lord's. We get glimpses of this, of course. We see it. Um, Genesis in chapter 3 is the evil one comes against Adam and Eve. Why did he do that? He did that so that he could disgrace God. That's where the real battle was. 
He did that so that he could disgrace God, so that he could he could destroy the honor and the glory of, of God. We see glimpses of this too. You remember the great battle between Goliath and 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 and, and David. Um, that wasn't meant to be a halftime speech, right? That 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 battle between David and Goliath. That was to allow us to see the real battle. Because when David came up against Goliath, how did he understand it? He says, you're not defying us, you're defying God. He's saying, I come in the name of the Lord. It's his battle. You remember the situation between uh, Jehoshaphat. And I say you remember because I mention this from time to time because I love this passage. Second Chronicles chapter 20. But Jehoshaphat had, had enemies on every corner. And he was afraid and he turned and sought the Lord. And the prophet came to him and said, Jehoshaphat, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. Because the battle's not yours. It's the Lord's. Now, in both cases with David and even Jehoshaphat, there wasn't, it didn't mean there wasn't anything for them to do. But they went into what they were supposed to do in the, in, in, in the assurance that it was God's battle, you see. And that's the sense of it. When Jesus comes on the scene, we really see it. It's almost as if no holes are barred. Because even at his birth, we find that Herod wanted to kill this little baby so much so that he was willing to, to slaughter little boys to kill this very one. We, we see it very directly as Satan comes against Jesus in, as he comes to tempt him in the wilderness. We see it somewhat indirectly as Satan works through these religious leaders to try to trick Jesus and dishonor him. We see it as demons face to face with Jesus. We see it then as the religious leaders come against Jesus to kill him. And even as Judas turns against him and Christ is crucified, we we see the real battle between these forces of evil and God. And here we stand, you see. We're to stand in the midst of this battle to honor and to bring uh, glory uh, to God. So you see, it's, it's not simply a, a me thing, but rather it's a we thing. So Paul says that very much so. He says, listen, this is a, a real battle. Uh, if any of you is weakened, then it affects the whole. Uh, we, we see that in the midst of, of war, don't we? we? We realize that, yes, every soldier, every unit, every needs to be strong in and of itself. But if there's a weakness, that weakness needs to be shored up. Why? Because that'll, that'll affect the whole. We see it um, in sports. If you intercept a pass at the end of the game and that will bring victory and yet one of your people is lined up in the neutral zone. Sorry, Chiefs fans. Right? That affects everything. That doesn't mean you should have been praying for the Chiefs necessarily. It's... But for us, you see, for each of us, he says, we need to be praying for one another. Notice how he puts it. He says, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and all supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. In other words, we need to be keeping alert, not only for our own lives, but for the lives of other believers. Because Satan comes against us and against others as well. And we're together in this fight to stand. And so we need to be aware of that. We need to 
We need to be alert, which means, which really means we need to know each other's. We need to know each other. We need to be in each other's lives. Now, we can't be in everybody's life. We realize that. But, but we need to be knit together in various ways, living life together, to know each other to such a degree that we know each other's points of vulnerability so that we can pray for each other. Obviously, we, we, we know those who are closest to us, perhaps family members, close friends, and so forth, on the way out, all the way out to, to others. But, 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 but we... We, we must be committed to pray, you see, to really pray for one another. That means that we need to get to know each other. That means we can't live isolated lives. It means we can't bop in on Sundays and leave. It means we have to bop in on Sundays and stay. Not all day Sunday, but stay in each other's lives, get to know each other. It may require you to talk to people. And I say that as an introvert, trust me. I spent a lot of years bopping in and bopping out of church. (laughs) I was so good, I could sit in the front pew and get out without anybody talking to me. In the humor of God, I can't do that anymore. But I once did for years. And my life spiritually was so stunted until I actually loved. In fact, John chapter um, 14, verse 21, Jesus uh, says this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, the commandment is to love each other. He it is who loves me and who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The only way individually we'll ever get to know Jesus is if we love. He will show himself to us in the midst of our loving each other. And a manifestation of that loving each other is praying for each other. Perhaps the first prayer then is that God would free you to to know and to be known and to be loved and to and to love. But even still as we get to know each other, we really do know how, how to pray for one another. Uh, the scripture tells us that there's no trial, no temptation, but such as is common to human beings. In other words, we all in some measure um, face the same trials and temptations. Maybe not to the same degree or maybe not in the same extent and not at the same time period. But we're human beings. We get it. We understand what we're up against. We understand the suffering and how difficult it is. We understand temptations that come to us. We understand hurts from relationships. We understand physical illness. We understand all of those things that come against us as, as they do. And so, so we can use that even as a springboard uh, to pray, uh, to pray for each other. Uh, the passage in Hebrews chapter 4 that talks about Jesus sympathizing with our weaknesses because he's our high priest. Uh, That passage, of course, is wonderfully and uniquely uh, applied to Jesus. But there's a sense of which it's true about us as well. We're a kingdom of priests. What's that mean? Well, you know, a priest, the scripture tells us, is one who is taken from the people to represent 
people before God. Now, Jesus is our high priest uniquely. But as a kingdom of priests, what it means is that because we belong to the people, that we can intercede for each other. And why? It means because we can sympathize with each other's weaknesses. Why? Because we're weak. We understand. I understand in some measure your weaknesses. And you understand mine. Why? Because we're people. So many times, isn't this true for you? That you think that you're going through something that nobody else has gone through? I mean, you think this just must be me? (laughs) You know that's a lie. There isn't anything, any trial, any temptation, but such as is common to us. You know that when you begin talking about this, all kinds of people start showing up in your life and say, I know. I know. That happened to me. So you see, we need to stand. We need to stand together, which means we need to pray for each other. We need to pray uh, for one another. We have the realization of this. I mean, we know in the history of the church that we need to pray for leaders in the church. Because we know that when leaders weaken and fail, it affects the whole battle. But not only that, uh, we know that we need to, to pray for all of us. I mean, in, in the course of the, the world in which we live, we know that there's a, 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 an onslaught against, against marriage, against understanding of how God has made us as male and female in the course of our, of our, of our, of our culture and our, and our world. And so we need to pray for marriages, that we who are married would be faithful in our marriage and give evidence of the joy of marriage. You know, sometimes we go to marriage conferences and, and we leave and the only thing we remember is marriage is so hard. You know? And uh, my kids reminded us recently and, and said, marriage is wonderful. Oh, it's hard. That's the parentheses. But it's, it's the way God made us to be. Why can't we just enjoy it? Let's enjoy this. And so, so yes, we need to pray for each other and for our marriages that we can enjoy. Husbands and wives can enjoy each other and we can show to the world God is wise in how he laid this out. Let's, let's love one another in the context of marriage as we do as men and women, husbands and wives come together in this. We need to pray, of course, uh, for our kids. That they will understand this. We need to pray for our kids as they live out uh, Life in the world in which we live. I trust that if you're a Sunday school teacher, you pray for your class. I trust that if you're a Bible study leader, you pray for the people in your Bible studies. I, I trust that if you're a, a blast leader or that if you're a, a small group leader, yes, of course you pray. And if you're involved in those, you pray for the others there. But, but it, it even needs to go broader than that. We need to be cognizant and aware of not just those among us, but those outside. Uh, we have missionaries going off to Mexico. We need to pray for them because we, we, we know how Satan will get at that group. Uh, it's, we've been doing this for years and, and they come back always with great reports. But we know things can go wrong <laughs> safety-wise or, 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 or travel-wise or relationships or weather or work or however that is. But, but don't let Satan get into any of those. But yet, let this group flourish in relationships flourish 
in their trust and faith in God as they do this to be a blessing to those kids at the orphanage and the, and the workers and the workers as well, you see, to, to, really, to really pray. I'm looking forward to our general assembly, our denominational meeting this summer uh, for a number of reasons. But this year, uh, because um, Andrew Brunson, who was the uh, missionary of ours in Turkey, uh, who was uh, arrested and in solitary confinement for a couple of years, is going to be our keynote speaker and I don't know him personally, we haven't met. But I can, I can tell you, and I'll report back, I know he's going to say this. He's going to say, if you hadn't prayed for me, I would never have made it. We need to pray for believers. When you get on an airplane, do you ever think... I wonder who's a Christian here. Just begin to pray for them. When you watch TV or get your news feed and you see refugees leaving one country and going to another and sometimes they're leaving because of oppression or because of war and sometimes simply to make a better way for their families. Do you ever wonder, are there any believers in that whole group? And if I were with them, if I were in that group of people, how alone would I feel? Wouldn't I want to have the assurance to know that there are believers who are praying for me in this horrible circumstance in which I find myself? And, and, and I find myself, because of someone who told me to do this once, to look at that group and to begin to pray for all of them. But, but God, help those who are believers to maintain faith. Help those who are believers to see your supply. Help those who are believers to see your help in the midst of this to be aware that all of that is part of this bigger battle. It isn't just me and Satan, but it's this bigger battle, the the battle of the ages between the evil one and God between hell and heaven. And and to, to know that we're a part of that and we need to then pray for one another so that we may stand. You see, our prayers of a profound impact on our lives. Turn quickly to 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. The apostle writes, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So he's laying out for them some trouble that he had. Said, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That means he wanted to die. Verse 9. Indeed, we felt we have received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, he was completely out of strength, and, and he simply then knew that he must. He knew this already, but he really knew this then. To rely upon God. Then verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. Um, On him we have set our hope. That he will deliver us again. And so you kind of think. Okay we're home free. That's good. And then he writes this. You also must help us by prayer. He's completely confident that God will deliver deliver him again. But he said here's the means through which this will happen. We're united together. I can't stand 
unless you pray for me. Your prayers have been ordained by God to actually be effective in my life for my deliverance. In fact, my deliverance, Paul would say, is contingent upon you praying. If you don't pray, I won't be delivered, but I'll be delivered, so pray. All right? You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He says, and listen, when I'm delivered, because you're a part of that in your, by your prayers, we'll all rejoice. Our, all of our faith will increase. We'll all be blessed by this. You see, individual Christians can never be blessed. That is, individual Christians who live isolated from the body can never be blessed by the blessings of others. And how do we engage in the blessings of others? By being a part of their lives in various ways. Particularly, you see, uh, by, by praying. Whatever reservations you may have about prayer, the theological ones, the difficulties, God is sovereign, he's going to do whatever he wants, so what does it matter if I pray? I'm not going to change God's mind by my prayer because God's God. I don't want him to change his mind. I don't want him to change his plans. Sometimes I pray and nothing seems to happen. There don't seem to be any answers really given. Or the answer seems to be no. All those difficulties we have with prayer. But the phenomenal thing is, as you read the Bible, what you find is encouragements to pray. Even this apostle He's a great theologian. He knows all these things. He knows that God is sovereign and all of that. And yet he says, please, I'm going to be delivered, but please pray for me. You must pray for me. Uh, He sees no contradiction. In fact, as as we read through the scripture, we find his encouragements to pray. I mean, Jesus said to a group of people, he says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will our heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? You should ask. So, so we get it. We're honest. We understand. But we know that we're united to each other and God in this battle and that we must really pray if we are indeed to stand. And we mustn't, of course, miss Jesus' words. When he teaches us to pray, he doesn't teach us to pray, my father, He doesn't teach us to pray your father, but he teaches us to pray our father. He says, listen, you're united together. You need to pray together. You need to pray with and for each other because we're all together in this. And you know one of the wonderful byproducts of praying for other people? Is that it takes us out of ourselves. One author put it, it removes from us our morbid Self-concern. To pray for each other. You know, the old language was if something went bad, you would clean the kitchen floor or you would paint a room or you do something physical. Well, the myth is that it's the physical activity that helps you. The truth is in that physical activity, you're actually doing something for someone else. You're cleaning their floor. You're painting their room. You're doing something outside of that moment, outside of your, And when we pray for others, you see, there are times when I'm just immersed in self-pity, right? My life is just falling apart. 
And, uh, and uh, yet it's still better than 99% of the people in the world, I'm sure. But to me, it's falling apart. And, 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 and I need to pray about that. We need to pray about everything and all that. But what helps me the very most is to begin to pray for, begin to pray for others. And there's something about that that lifts me. Because that's how we're made. That's how we're wired to pray, you see, for each other, that each of us will indeed stand in the midst of this battle. You know, I've got to tell you, just very personally, that I don't think I've gained over the last 20 years uh, theologically any better understanding of prayer than I had. If you were to give me a test 20 years ago and give me a test today on prayer, I'd write out the same answers. And the struggles that I had 20 years ago, I probably still have struggled. The questions I had 20 years ago, I still probably have questions about the, the things I knew then. I probably know now and am comfortable in that. But I have to tell you, I have a greater urgency to pray now than ever. And I think it's because I see my own weakness more and God's goodness. And I see our weakness more and our need to stand together in God's strength. All the questions aside, that drives me, you see, to my knees. Increasingly. And so as the apostle says, pray for all the saints with perseverance. With perseverance because the, the battle never stops, you see. And with perseverance because the battle is so important. Because it isn't just about me and it isn't just about you. It's about us, but it's more than just about us. It's about the glory and honor of God. We must stand so that in our standing, God will be honored and God will be glorified. And there is no greater joy for a human being than to be in the midst of that. I encourage you, I implore you, as the apostle does, to be alert at all times, with all prayers and supplication, for all the saints. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us. Even now, those of us in this room and those of us who are part of our church, particularly right now, that you would be with us, that you would strengthen us, that we would be people who are armored up, so you would mature us, in every one of these pieces, that we'd know the truth, we'd know the righteousness of Christ, we'd know the life that we're to live, we'd know the gospel of peace and live in it, we'd have faith, we would be those who um, have assurance of our salvation, that we would be strong people in the word, that we would know the very word of God, and that we would be people who pray for ourselves, yes, but for all of us. And so we do, even now we pray that you would strengthen us in your word. 
And Father, for those who find themselves in difficulties right now, perhaps there's sin that's pressing against, uh, against them um, in all kinds of ways. The temptation of the evil one that you would give them strength to stand in the midst of that. Would you grant them great faith to stand under the assault of any accusations that's coming their way? Father, for those who are discouraged that you would bring encouragement, but even sustain them in their discouragement. Keep them. That the discouragement will not overwhelm them, but bring encouragement to them. For those who are suffering physically, we pray that in the midst even of that physical suffering, God, that you would bring peace to them to know that you are with them. And even in their suffering, you're renewing them day by day. That God, you're strengthening them through it, that this suffering has a, has a real purpose. And God, our hearts desire always that you would relieve suffering, but yet still use it in the course of our lives to strengthen us. Uh, Father, we pray for relationships that you would heal them. That no roots of bitterness would form. Forgiveness would be granted and received. That your people would grow together in love. Father, for those who are facing material needs, that you would be the giver of daily bread. Father, that you would enable us to follow your rule and be faithful in your kingdom. Most particularly that you would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For those who lead the church, we pray that you would sustain them and grant to them the mind of Christ, the very character of Christ that gives themselves as he gave. Father, for marriages that they would be strengthened, for our lives we would live in purity. For our kids, Father, growing up in this world that Pray that nothing would satisfy them except that which pleases you. Father, that your word would go out and it would spread rapidly and it would be honored. Your word would spread. And for those who are taking that word all over the world, that you would be with them in such a way that their hearts would be, would be pressed in such a way upon the teaching and the preaching and the sharing and the living out of this word in such a way that people would hear it and believe and that you would encourage them and keep them. For these who are going to Mexico, we pray for them, not only for their safety and, 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 and keeping them from the kinds of difficulty that could uh, keep them from uh, fulfilling their mission. Uh, we pray that you would most particularly be with them, that they would love well in every situation. And that these children and the staff there would receive this love coming from you and be blessed. Father, here we are. For us to stand, you must help us. You must strengthen us. We know the means. And so now we pray that you would pour out a spirit of prayer upon us in such a way that we could not leave this place 
without day after day after day praying for each other. And this we pray in Jesus' name.